0: The Word of God comes to us this morning in the book of John, chapter 11, verses 17 to 44. That's John 11, 17 to 44. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen.
1: What a voice, what a voice. It's a gift. I want to welcome uh, a few visitors joining us for the first time. Uh, I have Roseanne and Lala. Where are you guys sitting? Are you guys sitting together or are you separate? No? Is, Ro- is that Roseanne? So let's give Roseanne a big uh, welcome. And as you gonna join us. Where's Lala? Let's see. What? Oh, sorry. I was, uh, yeah, I was confused. Okay, let's give uh, Lala a warm welcome as well. My bad. And we also have Grace and Mike, a new family who's upstairs in the nursery room. Uh, I don't think they can see us right now, but let's also give them a welcome. Okay. He has risen. I remember a teenage boy who would pray for God to heal his father who was dying from cancer. He would cry by himself at night in his room pleading for mercy, for God to not only spare his father's life, but to spare his mother from the grief of living as a widow and also the stress, from the stress of providing for her three children all by herself. Despite his prayers... His father's condition got worse, and he eventually passed away. And this boy began walking down a path that will lead to agnosticism. You hear this often from people, that when we need God the most, he's nowhere to be found. When what is dear and important to us is being torn and ripped from us, God does not come through for us. When Martha and Mary say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I don't believe they were being malicious and accusing him of saying, you know, Why weren't you here? But you all know that there are many people who do accuse God in that way. They say, God, Why didn't you respond when I cried out to you for help? How can you be so cruel? Why couldn't you show up? And people become confused and even angry and begin to wonder if God even cares or if he does care. Is he really able to rescue us when we are at our worst? And maybe that's you this morning. And maybe you're wondering what the Bible has to say about the situation you're currently in. If you want to know what God is like, we're told to look to Jesus. It says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is the exact representation of his father. So to know Jesus is to know God. Verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Most of you know that it's the shortest verse of the Bible. Some say it's the best verse because it shows that God cares. It shows how he loves. We see here that Jesus was deeply moved and troubled by the death of Martha and Mary's brother Lazarus. Jesus was profoundly touched by their grief and sorrow And he made their anguish his own. But he not only wept, it also says that he was basically angry. See, verse 33 is translated here as deeply moved in spirit, but this can also be translated as indignant or stirred with anger. Jesus was indignant and he was stirred with anger. You shouldn't be surprised to hear that Jesus was angry in the face of death. I'm sure you've heard this. Sometimes people say you should never be angry. Well, that's not entirely true. Jesus was angry when his friend died because death is the greatest enemy. Death robs and steals from us what is good and beautiful. Very life itself. But notice when Jesus got angry, he didn't get angry at God. See, there was no fist raised to heaven. Instead, his rage was directed toward death itself, this great enemy that robs and seals our lives, our joy, what's so wonderful for us. Death is what Jesus came to defeat. Christianity, it does not tell you never to get angry, because there are times when you are supposed to get angry. See, this is anger here, and his tears show us that he cares. He cares. He loves. That's a good thought to have. That's a good truth to know. But here's a different kind of question that's very important. What good would it be if we only had a God who cared for us? What good would it be if we only had a God who was able to weep for us? What about his power? Don't we need a God who not only cares for us, but who actually has the power to help us when we need him the most? In our story today, Jesus had heard that Lazarus was sick and was about to die. But it's interesting because he purposely delayed his coming until the man had already died. The question is why? People were confused about this. In verse 37, we read, but some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying, they were confused. I mean, it's not a bad question. Haven't you ever asked that kind of question in the midst of your own trials and hardships? I have, many times. Why? (laughs) Why, God? Why couldn't you show up on time? I'm a baseball coach, right? I always talk about being on time. You got to be on time. How about you, God? Why couldn't you be on time? Is my heart's complaint often. But what we learn about Jesus is that he is all powerful, but he doesn't always do what you expect him to do, and he doesn't always do what you want him to do either. His ways can be often unpredictable and mysterious, and this makes life often scary and even terrifying doesn't it? But let me remind you this morning that though our God is sometimes unpredictable, his ways are always good and right. Amen? He has risen. I was reminded of the brief exchange between Susan and Mr. Beaver in the story of The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe, one of my favorite books. Mr. Beaver explained to Susan, Aslan is a lion, the lion. He's the great lion. And Susan's response was, oh, I didn't know. She's kind of surprised. I thought he was a man. Is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's good. God doesn't always do what you expect or do what you want when you want as we learn that ultimately this life is not about me, it's not about you, it's about him, it's about his glory. It's about verse 39 where he says, take away this stone. It's about verse 40 where it says, did I not tell you that if you believe that you would see the glory of God? The truth is that God, he does care very much, that he is able. But he does what he does and when he does it, in order to show us his glory, because he knows that his glory is what we truly need in the end. I hope you realize that. You know, we learn from this story, brothers and sisters, that we truly underestimate our problem. You know, we think we know what's wrong and how our problems ought to be fixed. And so if God doesn't fix our problem our way, we get angry at God. But we, what we fail to see is that the real cure to our problem is to actually see and know who God truly is. You know, we think that our problems can be solved with earthly solutions, but that is not true. They can only be solved by the glory of God being revealed through his son, Jesus Christ. See, we desire earthly solutions, but God gives us something better and far greater. That is what we learn from this story. I first want to put it this way our problem is deeper than we thought, God's provision is better than we imagined. See, what Jesus gives surpasses what Mary and Martha was hoping for. And this is the Jesus whom you are called to trust. He is not an incompetent Savior, but a gracious and loving Savior who wants to give more than what you hope for. He knows what to give you and when to give them to you. And it might not always be what you had in mind, but it's always going to be what you really need. Do you believe that this morning? Are you okay with the idea of God not giving you what you want, but giving you what you truly need? I was reminded of what John Piper said many, many years ago. Kind of blew my mind at the time because I was so selfish. And... Had it had things kind of backwards, you know. And he's speaking about the love of God, kind of reorienting my thoughts for sure. When you hear the love of God, what comes to mind? What do you envision? He writes the love of God is not about God making much of us. See, it's not about God affirming us, you know, giving everything we want and ask for. <laughs> The love of God is not about God making much of us, telling us how great we are, how talented we are, how beautiful we are. No. But rather, it's God saving us from self centered sin so that we can enjoy making much of Him forever. I hope that sort of reorients your thinking. And in relation to that, He continues. And our love toward others, if you think about how you envision love toward others to look like, our love toward others is not our making much of them, right? It's not about affirming their lifestyle or their sin or their self-proclaimed identities. No, rather it's helping them to find eternal satisfaction in making much of God. One more bit about, or one more bit uh, from this paragraph. Piper writes, nobody in this room would go to the Grand Canyon to increase their sense of self-esteem. To see how great you are. No, you don't stand before the Grand Canyon. See, nobody stands on the edge of the Alps or the Rockies or the canyon in order to go there to feel better about themselves. Do you know why you go there? Because you were made to be satisfied with splendor, with greatness, and with true majesty and glory, not yourself, not that person you look at through the mirror each morning. Many of you know that the teenage boy I mentioned at the beginning of the message was actually me. It was my younger self. Because God, he he failed to meet my expectations, I became very bitter and angry toward God through high school for sure and a little bit of college as well. Very bitter person, very dark. Until... God opened my eyes to see my self serving attitude, my selfishness. Has that happened to you yet? Have you had that sort of eye opening moment? In the Bible, you read about what happens to people when they're given a glimpse of God's glory. Just a glimpse even will change you. Just a glimpse. Ask God for a glimpse of his glory and see what that does. See, after Moses saw God, it says his face shined and the people were afraid to come near him. They were even afraid to come near Moses. When Job heard from God, Job's mouth was silenced. After God's glory was revealed to Isaiah, Isaiah felt so unworthy before God's holiness that he cried out, woe is me, I'm ruined. I am ruined. Peter had a similar experience. When he saw the glory of Christ revealed to him on a boat as they were fishing, he fell at Jesus' feet and asked Jesus to leave him. I cannot be with you. I am too unworthy. Yeah, I can relate to that. I can relate to each of those stories to some degree. I hope you can as well. When God revealed his glory to me through the scriptures and through the ministry of his spirit, see, all of my complaints, let me qualify that, Virtually, virtually, because I was still sort of, you know, unstable sinner, virtually all of my complaints toward God about him not pulling through for me, him not showing up on time, it all seemed very foolish in light of who God is and what he accomplished through the resurrection of his son To borrow C.S. Lewis's words, I was complaining about not being able to make mud pies in the slum when God was offering a holiday at the sea. I was grumbling about my short time here on earth, which the Bible describes as vapor or mist, while God was promising eternal glory in Christ. How foolish I was. Now, I really don't want to sound dismissive of the deep pains and sorrows that we all experience in this life. You know, I know that all of you are bearing some kind of burden, right? You're enduring some kind of trial. I, I doubt that any of you would say that your life has been easy. Not even young Lindsay would say that. Okay? Have you seen her? Recent picture on instagram she's five years old. if you haven't seen it ask 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 for it ask someone to show you it's 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 quite something you know why is she so sad i mean she like her face is like oh, it's so miserable life is so hard why 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 if you don't know why it's because she was praying. She was hoping for a baby brother. And, and guess what God did? God said, no, I'm going to give you a baby sister instead. <laughs> ah! I'm miserable. Woe is me, right? See, even young Lindsay has her own set of hardships. but you know when you look at that picture what what is what is our response we chuckle we chuckle why why do you chuckle right are you cruel like are you are you that mean how dare you chuckle right i'm just kidding we should chuckle you know why because we we see life from the grander scheme of things right a little five year old mind only sees this but we are wiser, we see a larger picture. The same thing with God. Doesn't does really matter how difficult our own personal hardships are, that analogy still works because we're talking about God here and his perspective and his wisdom, you see. I wouldn't say he chuckles, right? but it's a different perspective he has. He's at peace because he's in control and his purpose will prevail in the end. See, some of you are really struggling because you haven't yet learned how to step back and interpret your life from the vantage point of eternity. The resurrection is somehow not part of your equation and you got to learn how to do that i got a a phone call from a brother who sometimes reaches out because he you know he's he seeks counsel and um he actually left the state a few years ago he's he's somewhere else and you know he really wanted to invest a few years in Studying in a, particular, a t- particular, uh, in a particular field so that he can uh, really establish his, I guess, career goals and flourish. I'm not going to give you more detail on that, but just, he wanted to be somebody, okay? but it fell through. It didn't work out, and he was greatly discouraged. And on top of that, he was kind of dating someone and after i found out who it was like she wasn't very um, she wasn't a committed believer her faith was shaky at best unclear what her confession was in christ and so i said you know i don't think she's for you brother All right he didn't like that message so we could kind of go back and forth about this over like a year and finally uh, they they broke it off and i was like you know that's hard it was hard for him it was hard for him to do so because of how attached they became. So it was that, and then his career goals sort of being broken. I thought that was going to be the end of it. Then he continued on, and all all of this stuff happened within the span of one year. Uh, And he, he told me that he had a... He witnessed a tragedy of his friend... Uh, being hit by a car. He was like a few feet away. Like, his, one of his closest friends died. Right? I, thought be, I thought that would be the end. He, he went on. He, he was like, uh, my family. right? My brother, he was, he was a resident, uh, trying to be a doctor, but uh, he got stripped of his residency. Something happened. Now the whole family's like in disarray. Right? Then he got into a serious bike accident. Right? Caused some major injury. Had to heal from that. Got his face bit by a friend's dog, right? It severed his friendship with that friend, and the dog had to be put, put down as well. Uh, life was just not going the way he planned. And so it's hard. It was hard to hear. He was like, I can tell. He was just distraught, wanting, wanting some help. And what I also learned, though, is that his prayer life has become more real. In the midst of all that tragedy his prayer life it, it became more real his his relationship with one of the elders had grown deeper right they were talking a lot more and just and also uh, there was another girl that came into the picture and this time this girl was she was a faithful father of Christ and so I, I try to despite his heartbrokenness I try to help him see the bigger perspective perhaps this is what God is trying to do in this particular season of your life. And I offered some hope for him. Right. You know, I we we should never dismiss people's pain and say, hey, get over it. No. It was more here, I, this is hard, but there is some hope here that I see. Let me offer this to you. Right? That's that's resurrection perspective. Um, some of you are really struggling, perhaps because your marriage isn't going very well You know, uh, sometimes in a lighthearted manner, I ask our brothers, how is your marriage going, man? You know, you guys still love each other? You guys love each other still, are you couples? I asked uh, that question yesterday during church cleanup day right in front of here, uh, one brother, and uh, his response surprised me, right? I say, hey brother, your marriage going well, you still love each other, right? And people around kind kind of chuckling. He responded with Well, I want to keep the streak going, right? I said, What? What? I think I know what that means, but I just want to make sure. What do you mean by a streak? What what are you referring to? And he's like, Well, Pastor Paul, you know, I think you married about forty couples and, and no one got divorced yet, right? <laughs> that streak. I was like, oh, yes. And so I didn't know the exact number at the time, actually. I had to go back home last night and check. And uh, I married 43 couples in total so far. And as far as I know, every single one of those marriages had been very hard, like every marriage, but they're still intact. Okay? And this year I have three, marriages, three weddings lined up, so it will be 44, 45, and 46 coming up, pretty much back to back to back. But hey, if that serves as motivation, right, <laughs> for you to kind of like work your problems out, then that might be healthy pressure on you. Okay, keep the streak alive, right? Don't give up. Right? Keep it going. Work it out. Be patient with each other. Keep your vows. See, I understand how frustrating life can be at times, especially when it feels like you're running on fumes like three tragedies ago. I'm just kind of trying to survive. You're in survival mode. But I also thought about this. Uh, Maybe this will help some of you. God, he had his own people wander in the wilderness for 40 years before allowing them to enter into the promised land. The thing is this. When you calculate the distance between where they were in Egypt and where Canaan was, it was only about a 500-mile journey, and it would have taken them, at most, 30 days, just a month, to cover, to walk. If they walk in it month tops, they should have been there. But no, 40 years. 40. Why? Why? Because you see, God's purpose was never to provide them with the most efficient transportation route. That was not his purpose. Rather, it was to provide them with this incredibly painful but life-transforming and faith-begetting education. That's life. That's our journey. I remember when I was in my mid-40s, And people ask me, Pastor, how does it feel to be 45? That was one of my lowest points in my life, okay? Hard, midlife's hard. Truth be told, I often felt lost, okay? See, no matter how blessed your marriage may be, okay, and my life, my my marriage, (laughs) my marriage was for the most part very blessed, okay? I feel like I'm a blessed man, the blessed marriage. But no matter how comfortable your life may be relative to most people in the world, and my life, as you should know, is fairly comfortable as well. Despite those factors, sometimes you're gonna feel lost, brothers and sisters. Because the daily grind of life, it does wear you down over a period of 40 plus years. It's not easy. The journey is long. And hard. So do not be surprised if you find yourself in a spiritual valley at times. God never says that we're going to have a mountaintop experience all the days of our lives. No, sometimes the daily grind of work and relationships and even ministry is going to weigh you down. But promise me this, brothers and sisters, no matter how you feel, Promise me that you will never give up in battling against your flesh that tempts you to quit. Make that resolution now. Don't quit. What does the Apostle Paul say? Even the great Apostle Paul, I beat my body and make it my slave, he says. That's his confession. That means life was hard for him too. That means he was tempted too. See, if somebody as godly as the Apostle Paul had to do that, my point is how much more should we be committed to disciplining our own bodies so that we would not be disqualified for the prize that awaits us in heaven? I remember hearing someone share what they learned from seeing their children run these cross-country events. Uh, I will never run a cross-country event, right? I will never run a half marathon, so don't even attempt to ask me. Okay? I know some of you are training for one. Right? I will never join you. Okay? I want to make that official right now. Right? You know, knowing that I was struggling to navigate through my midlife years, This older sister wanted to encourage me, and she told me that a couple of her kids were part of their cross-country team, and so she's been cheering them on as they run. And she told me that in the beginning of the race, everyone is, of course, happy. They're, They're glad to see each other, like high fives everywhere, you know, good to see you, good morning, but the race begins, right, and everyone gets serious. And usually, midway through the race, there's a point when they have to enter the woods and the parents no longer—they're they're out of sight, they're invisible—and I was told that there's always one or two kids that give up in the middle of the race, whether it's because they get lost in the woods or they're just plain tired. See, that's kind of how life is sometimes—you you feel like you're lost in the woods, and you're confused. You know, you you come too far to return, and you're still too far away from the finish line, so you're confused and you're tempted to quit. But then there's a moment when the runners start coming out of the woods, and they're able to look up to the hill and they see the finish line. They're so close. And she said that's what she loves the most. When she sees her kids' expressions, they look up, see the finish line. And everyone from the top begins to shout, Dive deep, right? Don't give up. Keep going. You're almost here. So when I was in my, one of my lowest points in my life, I was being encouraged to not give up, to stay the course, and to keep my eyes fixed upon the finish line, that picture of glory, to see Jesus face to face when I will once and for all be freed from the sin that has weighed me down all of my life. Don't we all long for that? that? Isn't that the picture? God paints for us in Hebrews, where all the saints who have gone before us are standing on top of that hill, and as you run out of those woods, they're cheering you on to not give up, keep on going, you're almost here. So that's my encouragement to you as well. Don't give up on Jesus just because life is a little hard right now. Learn to view your life in light of eternity, in light of the glory that you will be able to experience. Because your present sufferings are nothing compared to what you will receive once you cross that finish line. And when your face becomes distorted, Because of your sorrows, just think about Lindsay (laughs) and learn to think about life from God's perspective. God gives us more than what we hope for or think we need. Never give up on trusting your Savior. Stay the course. Behold his glory. Keep your eyes fixed upon him. He has risen. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to pray for us. Before before I pray, I'd like to just read a few lines from one of the great old hymns of our time. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plans his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and shall break. And blessings on your head. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet, oh, so sweet will be the flower. Father, we thank you for giving us what we need and not what we want. In that way, you are a wise and good Father who continues to challenge us to grow and mature as your people. Forgive us for our tendency to whine and pout and throw temper tantrums like spoiled children whenever we don't get what we want. or whenever we forget how blessed and loved we actually are, chastise us, rather, with your fatherly, loving discipline and remind us that though we deserve nothing, we have received everything in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God, show us your glory again and again so that the powerful spell this world has upon us will be broken. Thank you, Lord, for the resurrection life of Christ, for giving us a foretaste of that resurrection life even now. We long to see you face to face. Maranatha, come soon, O Lord, that we may live in glory forever. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We'll stand together.